Welcome to Cretech Climate Cast, a podcast series devoted to educating, inspiring, and leading the built world to address the world's biggest crisis, climate change. I'm your host, Michael Beckerman, CEO of Cretech Climate, the leading voice for the real estate industry's commitment to climate tech. Join me each week for 20 minutes as we connect with the world's leading real estate and tech innovators from VCs, real estate companies, academic and nonprofit sectors. Thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the show. Hey everyone, it's Michael Beckerman, CEO of Cretech and our newest initiative, Cretech Climate. Thanks for joining me for another episode of my podcast, Cretech Climate Cast, where each week I talk to leaders who are helping to decarbonize the real estate industry and as a result, create a healthier, safer living, working, shopping, traveling experience, and also to ensure that future generations can survive this planet with all of the scary climate change developments that are happening around the world today. So, you know, I've always uh, sort of thought to myself that if you can surround yourself with people who inspire you with their intellect, with their action, and they do it in such a, a humble and a decent manner, then you are a lucky, lucky individual. And I consider myself extremely lucky to call Lindsay Baker a dear friend of mine who's joining me on the podcast today. Lindsay is my, she is my climate whisperer. She is my hero, my North Star, my teacher, my mentor, my friend. We could spend four hours just on her introduction, but she's come to us today from the worlds of uh, technology, from academia, from nonprofit, and she's just doing some extraordinary work in climate technology and climate change and social and environmental governmental initiatives. So, Lindsay, it's great to be with you, my friend. I'm so happy to be here, Michael. What an introduction, man. I am super flattered, um, but I am also very honored to have you as a friend. And it is so cool to be a part of the, the Cretech community. I totally, I love it and I love where you're going with it. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. My pleasure, my friend. So for those few people who might not know about Lindsay Baker, could you give everybody just a sort of an overview of your career and what you're focused on today? Sure. Yeah. So I'm an environmentalist. I've been one since I was a kid. And uh, I took that specifically into the realm of buildings when I was actually pretty young. I uh, I got interested in, in the idea of green buildings when I was pretty uh, new to the world, um, right in the, I guess that would have been right around the year 2000. Um, and uh, got an environmental studies degree from Oberlin College. So like got my real hippie credentials in there early on. And, uh, and then I worked at the U.S. Green Building Council for a few years when LEED was first emerging, when it was first coming out as a thing. Uh, so got to be kind of a part of something that was growing and getting exciting and getting like, you know, traction in the industry, transforming the industry. I decided I didn't know enough about buildings. So I went back and got a building science master's at uh, UC Berkeley and most of a PhD, which I uh, stopped uh, to go to Google, to work at Google in their real estate department doing sustainability stuff. Uh, and then from there, I met a couple guys who were building and they had built a prototype of a piece of software uh, for buildings called Comfy. It was not called that at the time. We rebranded as, as all good startups do. Uh, but uh we, I left Google to start this software company. Uh, we grew it for five years, uh, really at the intersection of comfort and energy and buildings. Um, 
and uh, then sold it to Siemens in 2018 and joined WeWork as their head of sustainability uh, and what became head of sustainability and impact because, you know, fast moving companies always change, you change your title like every couple months. Um, so I was there, I built an incredible team. I was loving it. We were all, you know, just doing our best to grow this thing. And then the rug pulled out, uh, in late 2019. And, uh, I've been, yeah, working ever since pandemic times like we do. Uh, I'm teaching at UC Berkeley. I advise a bunch of startups. I work with you guys on some cool projects at Cretex. So like, staying busy, my friends, staying busy. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I don't know how you do it all. You didn't even mention RMI and yes. uh, Spur. And I know the nonprofit, which I want to talk to you about that you recently launched. So it, you inspire me with your productivity, my friend. It's it's extraordinary. <laughs> and your knowledge. I, you go, another podcast we'll have to have about, you know, just knowledge and deep learning because it, it's daunting, particularly those, you know, sort of climate tech for dummies like me who are new to this space. So let's start there. You know, the real estate industry, one we both know and love uh, so well, is responsible for 40% of all greenhouse gas emissions, right? Can you make the case for why the real estate industry needs to be paying attention to both its responsibility, but its opportunity as it relates to climate change? Oh, so many reasons. I mean, you know, for me, it comes down to one big fundamental point, which is that we are all in this together. The challenge of climate is not one that a specific group of people are going to fix. There are definitely some that are more responsible and have more power than others. Um, but, you know, if you look at it, uh, my old boss at USGBC liked to say, you know, buildings are the largest single energy consumer in the U.S. Uh, by sector. And then, you know, uh, he would sort of go into this thing and say, you know, the USGBC was having the biggest impact on that industry. And within the USGBC, our little department was the biggest, you know, and he would be like, so literally your job is the most important job in the world. And I think that was a bit of my problem. That. That's great. <laughs> I'm going to use that. <laughs> Pep talk. But, you know, but I think, uh, in real estate, one of the coolest parts about this is that, I don't know, I have to say, unlike some industries where making a transition to a clean economy is going to be some hard decisions, there's going to be, um, you know, really stopping doing some things that they've loved doing. There's a lot of, I don't know, it, it can be more painful. In real estate, I actually think it's a really wonderful thing because our stuff that we have to do to make this transition to a better future is also going to make a lot of people a lot happier. It's going to create a bunch of jobs. It's going to make a lot of money. And so like all of that stuff, I just feel, I mean, I said this, at, you know, um, when we did the, the conference back in the, in the fall, I just don't know why you wouldn't want to be on this side of the argument. Like it's the fun side. This is where all the cool people are. I mean, yeah, obviously me, but you know, <laughs> no, I, like it's just to say like we, we get to do the inspirational fun work. We get to envision a future in which, you know, a global pandemic, like the one that we've been through in the past year does not kill as many people, does mm -hmm. not disproportionately impact black and brown folks, does not put millions of women out of work like because we've done things to make our society more resilient like that's the future i just like getting behind you know like that and so who why wouldn't, wouldn't you, you know who wouldn't want to be part of that future so so there's the great opportunity 
what is the price, what is the cost to the industry if they do not mobilize, right? Yeah. Whether it's demand from tenants, whether it's insurance or underwriting, et cetera, et cetera. Make that case for the audience What for not yeah. doing anything. What, what would that world look like? I mean, honestly, I have to say, I've been doing this for 20 years. I have always been trying to say that the rest of the world cared what real estate d- did. And I think until about two years ago, it wasn't really that true. Like, you know, in- insurance, financial markets, institutional investors, your corporate tenants, like everyone was kind of like they knew that sustainability mattered. But now, like, like the screws are on like it is happening and i talk to investors all the time now who will go into detail about what they're asking of their real estate assets the the portfolios uh, you know members that they have in, in their investment portfolios and they're asking for really detailed sustainability data performance over time genuine carbon neutrality commitments that have incremental goals between now and 2050. We're not talking like we uh, promise to improve by 2050. We're talking right. like by 2030, we will reduce by 40%. You know, they're looking for that. Um, and I mean, yeah, so it's true. I, I don't know that you have a lot of good options if you mm. want to continue to be a leader in real estate, if you want mm. to continue to be perceived as a good company in real I, estate. I, yeah. Yeah, that's important. Now, I mean, so is that how we're going to ensure, Lindsay, that companies are not greenwashing? Is that there's going to be real accountability and measurement of these commitments? Because we're starting to see some in the real estate industry, whether it's Boston Properties or Renato or Empire Realty Trust, you know, Jamestown, Oxford, RxR. There's some, you know, Kilroy, there's some great, you know, companies out there that are taking the lead. But now, once it becomes trendy and the Biden administration is clearly making this very, you know, front page news every day, how do we ensure that we're not going to be susceptible to the greenwashing effect? I think greenwashing has been a problem for the past decade or so because we weren't doing the real measurement and data work, because we didn't actually have the technology in place to confirm, to really verify that what you were doing in real estate was good. Um, and, and, because of the leadership of all those companies you've just been talking about and lots of researchers and academics and people, we now know how to measure what a good building looks like, what a good portfolio looks like. And not just, by the way, in terms of carbon, but in terms of embodied carbon in the building materials that you buy, in terms of uh, diversity issues, in terms of social impact issues, all that stuff is getting quantified. And, and I think that's maybe important context for folks to understand if you're just, if you're new to climate tech or new to climate and, and real estate, the past 20 years has been some hard work. We've been like sweating to, but what we've been doing is transferring all of these things that used to be sort of qualitative mm-hmm. and difficult to understand and complex into simple metrics. Mm-hmm. And we will keep doing that. It's not going to stop. But we're at a really good point where like a real estate company showing up now is not going to have to sit around head scratching and saying, okay, well, how do I understand my carbon footprint? How is yeah. that even a thing? That was 10 years ago. And we know that now. Yeah, that's that's a great, great, great point. And that context is so important for our audience and our listeners to understand. So let's just continue to unpack that a little bit. So could you explain again, this is climate tech for dummies. This is me, okay? Because I'm I'm dummy number one. So you're educating me. This is my lab. This is my school. When you talk about embodied carbon and you talk about the carbon footprint of an actual building, explain to us, layman, how the industry contributes 
40% of all carbon emissions. How does that happen? So the 40% is actually just when we're talking about energy consumption uh, of buildings, what we call operational carbon. The embodied carbon stuff isn't even included in that calculation when we say 40%. So you got to add on some more carbon footprint. It's 40 plus really is what we're talking about there. Um, and, and that is, we won't get too nerdy about it, but it basically means all the energy that is consumed in America, uh, 40% of it goes into residential, commercial, industrial buildings, um, not industrial buildings in the sense, like more like fact, like a, like a, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, like manufacturing um, or uh, like no, a, because manufacturing actually has its own little way, yeah, you know, I as it so. should, okay. right? Like it's yeah. not a small one, uh, <laughs> but then there's transportation as well. Okay. Uh, warehouses okay. is really warehouses, warehouses. Yeah. Like okay. a warehouse, like it's just yes. a space, you know, if, it, yes. if it's primary Box. function is just to like be a space, Box. not making a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Got it. Um, so all that, that's the 40% that we're responsible for. Um, and so, so when we talk about embodied carbon, it's us trying to take responsibility for, um, you know, all the stuff that we need, that we need to, that we buy, that we need to own, essentially. So it's, you know, whether we're talking building materials or we're talking paper towels or, you know, if you provide coffee, then that's coffee. All of that is your embodied carbon footprint, which is also really important uh, to manage and to have some goals for, in part because it's the one of the biggest areas of leverage for a real estate company. Um, and and you can think about that from the perspective of just being a human being. Like the the my, some of my most um, empowered moments are the ones where I choose what I'm buying, you know, like I don't have as much of a choice about uh, I don't know um, exactly how much mileage my car gets uh, right. because I buy a car and then it's sort of decided. But right. the buying moment is right. the one you where you actually choice. make these decisions. And so when you buy food, you know, all that kind of stuff, it has a big carbon footprint. And so you, you can make those decisions well. So that's why we're all, you know, a lot of embodied carbon conversations are how can we get away from um, concrete or concrete that is particularly high carbon? You know, how can we find Right. concrete that is low carbon same thing with steel steel's another one right yeah yeah those are the big ones those are the okay. elephants in the room yeah got it got it so you know you've spent you're one of these rare people that have spent time as i said in in all food groups within the real estate and the tech world and the nonprofit world etc cetera, etc cetera. so you understand the audience really as well as anybody right you're not not that there's anything wrong with it just coming from say an academic lens or yeah. just a tech lens so a lot of the real estate companies, they don't have heads of sustainability or even heads of technology. And how do they get started, right? So I'm, I'm a real estate owner. I own a few thousand apartments or a couple warehouses or a couple million feet of office, et cetera. Where do I get started? Yeah, it's a great question. There's a couple of options of where you can get started. The thing I would do is probably two things. One is um, find yourself a smart person, you know, a consultant of some kind that's going to help you navigate this stuff. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I'm available. No, actually, I'm not available, uh, but I know a lot of great people who are. And um, you, you just, there's too many terms, you know. Um, I, I think one of the biggest mistakes people can make when they start with this stuff is to tackle the things that are highly visible to them. You know, unfortunately, in the world of sustainability and real estate, a lot of us like to make fun of straws, the elimination of plastic straws. It's very visible. It's like very upsetting in the videos when you see the turtles and everything. 
Um, but when it comes to the biggest impacts that we have on the environment, it's not straws. And you will not probably know for your portfolio where your biggest opportunities and your biggest impacts are unless you actually look at some data. Like you just have to get into that. And so finding somebody to do that with you is a good idea. Um, and then you set some some targets. You say to yourself, okay, I want to decrease by 10%. I want my carbon footprint to go down by 10%. I want to decrease my water consumption by 10%. Like those are all the kind of goals I would I would go for. Mm-hmm. And once you say to yourself, okay, I've got these goals, the solutions start to come out of the woodwork. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people will be there to help you. There's a ton of technologies that are there to help you reduce your energy consumption, but it'll help them and it'll help you stay focused and you know spend the right amount of money and spend it well if you kind of know where you're trying to get to. And there's some great associations, right? And nonprofits that are also available that have built tools like Stacy Smedley and others and the Carbon Leadership Forum that, you know, and, and Greenprint that have a lot of information and tools that are kind of, like you said, off the shelf. The hard work's been done, right? Yeah, so they're yeah. able to find those and we'll post those as well. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. There's one to post for sure, Rocky Mountain Institute, where I am a senior fellow that I didn't mention. They've got a great uh, portfolio analysis tool that's recent for commercial real estate. Um, and um, that is something, that program that I'm sure would be useful for, for this community um, to check that out. Um, but many others, yeah, like the world is here. The government's here. They'll probably give you some funding for it. Like it's, it, it's yeah, especially yeah. with the Biden administration. Now yeah. is the time to start. Yeah. And what you're really doing, Lindsay, is you're making the case that it's it's accessible and it's doable. It's not daunting. A lot of us that are new to this, unfortunately, you know, it's overwhelming. Like you said, the terminology is overwhelming. The choices and I don't have the resources myself. You know, where do I go? So you're making it really accessible, which I, I'm deeply appreciative. Now let's turn for a few minutes that we have left to some social issues that I know are really near and dear to you. What can the real estate industry be doing a better job of in terms of you know some of these really critical social diversity equality issues so the first one on the social issues this is hard it's really hard to talk about but i think at least for me in the past couple of years of reflection on what i can be doing to make our society a more equitable place a safer place a healthier place for people that don't look like me, people who are people of color, people who are lower income. When I think about what I can do, um, unfortunately, a lot of it is about me recognizing that I've had a lot of things that they haven't had. uh, And I need to figure out a way for us to all be able to have that basic level of, of health and wealth in our lives. And to participate in that, first of all, number one, you listen to what they need. First, we listen, right? Um, so, it, you know, I think if you're a real estate leader and you're jumping to like, all right, what can we do about this? And you haven't sat down and tried to listen, especially to the people of color in your community, maybe in your professional community who are asking uh, or who are calling for change in real estate, like that's the first step. Let's hear what they have to say. And I'm not going to try to represent that, uh, that those calls myself, but I spend a lot of time thinking about that and listening. Um, I think one of the biggest things we need to do is to create more paths for people to be successful in this, in this industry. Um, and I speak about that as, uh, as a woman who is, you know, we're still 75% of real estate executives are white male. So like, you know, 
not just white, but white and male. And I think it's something like 35% of the general population is white and male. So I hate to say it, but we're going to have to pass shift power away from white males. If we're going to do this well, we need more people of color Amen. and women, you know, it's just Amen. Gonna have to happen. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I, I don't want to sugarcoat it too much. That means fewer white men are going to have these roles. Uh, and I think that that's okay. I think it's more than okay. <laughs> uh, so that's one thing, you know, um, but uh, I, we, we could go on. I think, I think that's a good step though, is just to get different people in leadership um, and, uh, and to think about how, um, the other thing I'm excited about right now is thinking about ways that we can build community wealth through sort of alternative real estate ownership models, things that can really, um, you know, keep the wealth in some of these communities that are otherwise experiencing some gentrification. Like how do they also benefit fi financially from yeah. real estate? And we should all be excited about that. We love this business. We love what real estate can do. We love what buildings can do. Let's figure out a way for other people to build wealth uh, along with us. Yeah. Oh my goodness. As always, you're, you're so enlightening, uh, educate me, you inspire me, my friend. And I think everything you're talking about is for the greater good, right? Yes. You've you know shown that by investing in these initiatives, particularly in the climate, it's good for business. It's good for society. But if you don't care about society and the future generations, it's good for business. And a lot of the surveys and studies that you've shown me uh, prove that healthy buildings perform better, right? But you've also made the beautiful, wonderful, eloquent case that it's good for the industry. It's good for the collective. And, uh, you know, I'm 56. I've been in this industry for 30 something years. And with people like you, you know, you're showing us that best days for the real estate industry are ahead of us if we just recognize some of the shortcomings, but some of the opportunities as well, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I guess one of the things I like to remember is, you know, let's all take away all the stuff that we feel like is so inherent in the industry. Like, that's just the way we've been running it recently. But we have a cool job. We shelter people. We bring communities together in space that is beautiful and enriching like that's the work we do that's the core of what we all do together so let's make sure we do that the world will always need that like that is a thing that we will need forever and focus on what it looks like to do that in a way that's fundamentally more yeah more more fair more uh sustaining more regenerative there's a lot of space for that work to get done. So I, I think, you know, sometimes we all feel a little challenged when we talk about these transitions that somehow jobs are being taken away or that our identity is being taken away. But we have the coolest identity as an organization, like as, a, as an industry, right? Like we get to do the coolest work. We just need to remember what the essence of that work is and hang on to that, you know? And take others along and make it more inclusive and do good along the way. Lindsay, thank you yeah. so much for your time, my friend. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Always. If you want to hear more about top industry trends, please hit subscribe and join us on this journey to reimagine real estate. If you've enjoyed listening to this week's episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. To stay up to date on leading climate tech trends and topics, join the Cretech Climate Community by clicking the link in our bio. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to having you join us next week.